Hi, everybody. We're back again with another edition of the Daisies.Live show. And we have with us a very special guest today, and that is Rianjali. Rianjali was the week's 100 emerging women leaders, right? And you were... You were you were you were a hundred emerging women leader for for the year. Um, well, for I think that is right. And uh, and you're a musician, and your dad is a psychologist and a renowned singer in Bangladesh. And you are a singer yourself, but not only a singer, you're a songwriter. But before that, you were also a domestic violence caseworker, Rianjali. Let's start with that. How did you get started? Domestic violence case yeah, um, uh, worker. And, you know, it was Domestic Violence Day the other day. Right, right. Absolutely. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just uh, want to quickly clarify. My dad is actually, my mom's the one who's a psychiatrist, but my dad, he was, he is a musician. And so I got a little bit of that. A um, little bit of both, I guess. I, you know, started doing the music through my dad and the psychiatric stuff. I was very interested in since I was young because of my mom. So see, she's a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She's now retired, but you know, we used to talk about uh, mental health since I was a kid because she grew up in an area in India in New Delhi where, um, you know, at the time, obviously in the '80s, she saw a lot of mental health. Um, I guess people who were going through a lot of different kinds of issues, but of course there wasn't any resources. So when she came here, she studied that and we both thought, you know, one day we'd try and open up something for women out in India. That was, this was a long time ago and it's still kind of like a dream of mine, but essentially the music thing was something I started when I was a kid. And when you grow up in a South Asian household in America, while it is more modern in some ways, I feel like we are, our families are kind of stuck in the eighties when they came from India or Bangladesh, they came here and they, they like tried to preserve that era that they were in while they're here to hang on to their like roots and whatever it is so that they don't lose it. And they don't, you know, they don't have their kids lose it as well. So while I feel like those countries were moving on, you know, the immigrant families who came here were kind of stuck in this like little time capsule. So when it comes to music as a career, it was always a no, that was not gonna happen. Anything creative as a career was not gonna happen. You can, you can succeed in it on the side, you can pursue it, you know, to a certain extent, but when it comes to your job, You've got to go to school, you've got to get your master's or become a doctor or whatever it is, you need that stable salary. So I quickly decided I didn't want to become a doctor. And so I got my master's in clinical psychology. <laughs> I was like, it's it's not for me staying in school for like 10 to 15 years just wasn't for me. Um, I got my master's in clinical psych and I the one of the first few jobs that I was able to get during the time was um, basically a domestic violence caseworker. And so it was a nonprofit organization that basically helped uh, DV victims get out of their situations, get therapy, work permits, um, teach them language, because a lot of them were Pakistani, Bangladeshi, and Indian. And uh, they came, they basically came to America. They, you know, got married with the hope of coming to this country and starting this dream and ended up in a pretty terrible situation. So our, our company basically helped them get back up on their feet. Now, I was 22 when I started that and I loved it, but it was also really exhausting. We dealt with like foster care and like going to court and, you know, pulling families apart in order to try and bring them back together. So 
music was on the back burner. I've been performing since I was a kid. I performed in college, but it was always a hobby, you know, um, until I got this chance opportunity to meet A.R. Rahman, and that's kind of where my journey started. Wow, that is such a such an interesting story. So, yeah, you were one of the little brown kids who escaped being an engineer or a doctor. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how did you? Of course, you had your mother as a um, as a role model for music. How did you develop interest? How did you really get into it and decided that you want to make a career out of it? So I actually didn't decide that I wanted to make a career out of it. I always say this thing, this thing just sort of happened to me. And my brother, my brother's like a big fan of mine. He basically told me that everything you had been doing, because I was very logical about my path. I thought, you know, this is what's going to happen oh, in yeah. two years and next two years and next two years. I wanted to make sure that I was like financially secure and, and ready to go. And he said, everything you had planned, basically your life turned out the opposite way so it just goes to show you that you can plan all you want but sometimes the universe has other things in mind and so essentially what happened was um ar Rahman heard one of my original songs and i was doing original songs like barely i basically was just kind of messing around and putting it on soundcloud nothing serious he heard it wanted to meet me we met in new york we had lunch um that that was kind of surreal because i didn't think that was I didn't think that was actually happening until it happened. Um, and he asked me to come to India and uh, work for him. He was like, you know, maybe just try it out a couple of months. You're a songwriter, let's see where it goes. And I was about 24 at the time and I was just thinking, okay, cool, I have my degrees, I have a career, I have a job, right? If I quit for a couple of months and I just try this, it'll just be something I do temporarily. And if it doesn't work out, it's fine. I will, you know, go back to my old job. And uh, I ended up in India for two years. <laughs> so three months turned into two Ooh, years. Wow. Yeah. And so when I got there, I got the opportunity to work on like films and projects and documentaries and Netflix documentaries. And I basically went from zero to 100, just getting that experience, learning the program, developing myself as a composer. So I guess that's kind of like, I, I really didn't like plan on this, but it happened. And when I got back, I was like, I can't stop now. I've clearly proven to myself that I can do this as a career. So why would I stop now, you know? And so that's how it's continued. So it it truly just sort of happened to me. And I thought, I just kind of quickly made the decision, like, I have to go for this. It's like a dream that I didn't even dream about coming true, you know? Wow. So uh, tell us more about what all happened when, when you went to work with A.R. Rahman. How? I mean, what was the experience working with him? Of course, he you are one of his protégés, right? And that's that's amazing. He even asked you to um, teach his children. Yes. I, I heard. Yes, that's true. So tell me more about that. I When I got there, I honestly did not know what I was going to do. I was like, I was questioning myself, like, why did he call me here? Why am I even here? I had very, very little confidence and very little experience. So obviously the confidence wasn't there because I didn't, I wasn't doing this yet. So when I got there, he was like, you know, I would love for you to teach my children. So that's how I started off. And then soon, you know, he kind of just 
calls. So you just, you'll, you know, you'll be sitting there and like 11 PM at night in your apartment and you'll just call and be like, Hey, are you nearby? And I'm like, yeah, are you free? Yeah. And then, okay, come to the studio. And then you just kind of go, you don't know what's going to happen. And you just kind of go with it. And he's working on something and he's very much a creative in that way when he thinks of something and he, he just knows who to call for that specific thing. He'll have like a roster of people in his mind and he knows when to call you and who to call depending on what it is. So the first thing I did was write a song. I started working on this movie called Viceroy's House, which was, um, it was uh, directed by Gurinder Jada. And that was the first kind of thing where I was like, wow, this is kind of big. Um, then I went to Mumbai with him and, you know, I was in the room with people like Gulzar and Arjit Singh. And I was just sitting there like a fly on the wall, just observing everything and just kind of thinking, hey, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and B, I was like, if I am here, let me absorb everything. And so, you know, those were kind of the beginning moments. And then I think he continued to see my potential because I immediately decided, even if I have never had the experience, I need to make sure that I show up every single day and, and at least like put my foot forward and try. It's okay that I don't have the experience, but I quickly decided that. So he later told me, you know, he saw the potential and, uh, you know, he would just say, go to the studios late at night and just work on the programs and learn how to do it. I didn't even understand how to use the software programs. So he would just say kind of, he gave me this kind of open feel to, hey, just you're here, you're in the studios, learn everything that you can possibly learn. And then he would give me opportunities. So I got to music supervise um, Sri Levy's last film, which was Mom. I got to music supervise a Netflix documentary and write for Sri Levy's uh, last film and sing for it and, and, you know, sing on MTV Unplugged with him. There was just he, when he sees something in you and he sees that you're developing it, he'll continuously call you for it. So, and, and just as a person, I know everyone sees him, what he is on social, on media and, and interviews. And it's true. He is one of the nicest people I have ever met in my entire life. He is kind. He is for where he is at his level. He cares about his musicians. He cares about the people that he works with. And he doesn't have to. I've met a lot of people that are in his level or even lower who won't give you the time of day. And he's just truly a genuine human being. And so when I talk to other people now, that's my bar. I'm like, if you are anywhere near him or even below him, use him as a standard for expectations of how a human being should act no matter what your fame level is at. You know, so he's taught me a lot more than just music in that way. Yeah, no, I've interviewed him and he's probably not only humble, he's just forever inventing and reinventing himself. And that is so amazing. I mean, I come from a Silicon Valley culture of, you know, do try everything. And he seemed like one of us because he'll try everything, he'll experiment. And those experiments are beautiful because he knows exactly, the brilliance of the guy is that he knows exactly how he's experimenting and that is just yeah. such that that's uncanny but you grew up uh learning uh, classical music right indian classical was it was it north indian classical or carnatic it was actually north indian classical and that's how i started so i didn't actually even know that i could sing american music until i was like 14 or 15 years old how was the transition because these are two different uh, i mean i I just can't. I've learned, I've learned Indian classical and, you know, it's a totally different transition to be learning American Western classical. 
it's completely different, but I will say the training that you get, the the way that your ear ends up picking up on the slightest things, that really helped me because when I finally started to study American and European classical, one of the biggest things was sight reading, so learning how to read sheet music, and I had no clue what I was doing, but the moment that I kind of figured it out, one of my coaches was like, you have a really, really good ear and and you know have you studied this before and I said no I haven't studied this but I've studied Indian classical and you have to sit with like saw for like an hour hour no yeah (laughs) I remember that you know our American warm-ups are like 20 minutes 30 minutes my dad would be like saw one hour day one hour (laughs) every day you have to turn up and do the same thing over and over again until you're done perfect it but then so many variations right and your voice gets uh, gets conditioned to those variations so what so just moving the voice from those variations to a totally different scale on the western must have been a job it was it definitely was and it took some time i think initially you can hear it in my voice that i still had like this heavy indian classical influence and then over time because i completely strayed away from that and i started to compose my own songs and you know i'm american born and new york city born so a lot of that was just natural influence and i thought you know, I can actually sing this stuff. So the more I started singing those styles, the more my voice started actually changing the way that it was singing. So it happened over the course of a couple of years. I would say my high school years from like, uh, you know, 14 to about 18 is when that truly changed into much more like pop vocal. So it took years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't have to really work harder than, you know, if, if you were a native Indian language speaker going into English is yeah. going to Western, that that entire style is a lot more difficult than you're, an, uh, you're a native English speaker with an American accent. So that wouldn't right. really be that difficult. Um, but but uh, I know your dad did not want you to get into in, into this as a profession. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me more about that. How did he feel about it? And how did he feel about it when you were really doing so well with ARM on as your mentor? So, you know, my, my dad is definitely very protective. I'm his only daughter. He, you know, I have an older brother, but you know, when I, when I was doing the music as a hobby, he was extremely proud. He was always, you know, the typical family events we'd go to, oh, Rhea, sing something, Rhea, sing something here, you know. Sing for uncle. Yes. You got it. All the time, all the time. And even when I like started picking up my guitar, you know, he started saying, okay, fine, sing an English song if you want, you know. But then the moment that I got the opportunity with AR Sir, he was excited when I met him. But when I said I was going to move to India, he was he was like, absolutely not. He was like, you don't, you're not from that country. You, you know, you're you're born and raised here. You're gonna live there in, in Chennai where you're not even from Chennai. You're from, you know, New Delhi and Bangladesh. So you're, you don't know the language, you don't know the people. And he was so afraid because, you know, the industry is harsh, right? He's been burned before. And so he was thinking the same will happen to me. And on top of that, he's like, you're a female in this industry and it's very, very difficult to maneuver. And I'm like, I completely understand your fear, but I have to try, you know, I have to try. Like if you were my age, you would probably say the same thing. And, and, you know, I tried to keep him as comfortable as possible by calling him every single day, you know, letting him know what was going on every day. And I think he truly didn't get what was happening because he didn't even understand what music supervision was or songwriting was um, until I did uh, MTV Unplugged with AR Serve by my side. He saw it on TV. It aired on on you know Indian channels in America, 
and he was able to watch it while I was in India. And I think that's the moment he thought like, she's, she's actually doing something out there, you know, because for them, they have to, for, they just, they want to see something very visual for product. Them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, they don't quite understand like going through the credits of a movie and, and looking for music supervisor. They don't quite understand like a songwriting credit, even though that stuff is more powerful to me. Um, they didn't come from that world. So when they saw him on TV with me, uh, you know, doing a duet, they were like, okay, how did that happen? You know, you weren't lying. And I think he was, he was very proud. Um, but it also quickly turns into what's next. Right. And I don't, them. I don't blame them because again, the world is ever changing, but I, I think I've proven to him. He's told me later on, he was like, you're really strong because you went there all by yourself and you dealt with whatever you had to deal with and you did it with stride. And I was like, thank you for saying that. You know, I appreciate you actually noticing that. So he's now, I think, come to a point where he knows like, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm following my passion. I'm doing what I need to do. And he doesn't have to worry, you know? That is amazing. But I believe you also battled polyps of the vocal cords. In yeah. Brain. Tell us more about that. How, how? Yeah, um, that was that was definitely like, so that was actually right before I met AR Sir and part of the reason why I was not singing. So I had developed uh, polyps on my vocal cords in college towards the later end of my college years. And I didn't know, I just started losing my voice little by little to the point where I just couldn't sing. So I gave it up and I was working and I was stressed out. I was helping out my family out financially. My mom was getting sick. It was everything at once. And I, I recently actually just a couple of days ago kind of um, opened up about my mental health struggle, which I had not done ever. I've, I've never spoken about it. Um, it's been private for eight years. And during that time, I sought help from a psychiatrist because I was deep into a very depressed and anxious place. And, you know, I wasn't even doing music. So you can imagine that something that feels like a part of you, you're, you've completely eradicated it from your life. And then on top of that, your whole life feels stressed out. So there was so much going on and, and I was on meds and I was trying my best to just kind of keep afloat. And um, I had heard that one of my family friends had polyps and she got the surgery. And I was thinking, you know, what are the symptoms? And so I asked her and it sounded exactly like mine. So I was like, maybe I should just go to a doctor and just see what's going on. At this point, it's been like three, four years. And I had just let it be. I hadn't even put any attention to it. I was like, it is what it is. I lost my voice, whatever. And I just let it go. And I went to the doctor and he told me I had three huge growths on my vocal cords and that they were continuing to grow and that I would need surgery and then lots of ther therapy afterwards, vocal therapy. And so I had good insurance at the time and I was like, I have to do this. And I remember it, there was a 10 day period of recovery of sing, speak or eat solid food. You could only like drink liquids. Um, and so after the 10th day of silence, I, my doctor said, you can hum on the 12th day, don't sing. And I remember humming and I couldn't hum before when I had the polyps. And I just was like in tears. Cause I was like, I can't believe that I might have my voice back. And I took advantage of it for so long. So I think after that, I was like, I have to start again. I have yeah, to start picking up my guitar again. So that's what I did. I started writing songs and that's when Aramon heard it. And it was difficult because I was like, I can't believe I let those years go by, but you know, I don't even feel like the same person. The fact that I was in such a dark place at the time, I feel like a completely different person now. I'm like, if, if that happened to me now, I would immediately get it checked out, but I was lacking passion in every part of my life. I just completely let it go. So 
you know, things kind of just, I, I did have that like happy ending where I figured it out and, you know, I was able to take care of it, but it was, it was hard. I can only imagine. And, and in terms of mental health and, you know, it's a very important facet of our life, especially in our community. We don't take mental health that seriously and we got to do it. Um, it's, it's like you get fever, you got to treat it, you got to treat whatever you're feeling as well because after all we're made up of chemicals aren't we yeah, absolutely we all are yeah. <laughs> totally so um uh, i believe um you know uh, you're you're still working your songwriting uh, tell us more about your work what are you up to these days what do we expect from you uh where are you taking your career yeah um so these days i'm actually i, I was performing a whole lot before covid I was uh, writing my own music. I was uh, composing for independent films. I was writing songs for AR for, you know, bigger films. I worked on the Dubai Expo. I wrote a couple of stuff for it. I performed for right before the pandemic. And now I am continue. I'm always working on my own original music because that's just, I love creating that. But you will probably see me composing a lot more in the next, I have a couple of things and not a lot to talk about just yet, but I will be, um, you might hear my songs in films and, and TV shows, and um, I'm going to be composing and scoring a lot more these days. I will always be performing, but I really want my career to dive into songwriting, composition, and see that in like major pictures and major documentaries. Because one big thing I noticed is when I was in India, everyone was asking me, are you a playback singer? And I was like, I'm actually not. I'm a composer, singer, songwriter. They were like, do you do Indian songs? Do you do Tamil songs? And I said, actually, I don't. And they were like, what are you doing in India? You know? And I was like, I don't know, but you know, I figured out some sort of path and I don't see enough women who are South Asians who are composing. I want to see the female version of Pierre Rahman. I want to see a female version of Hans Zimmer. I want to see a female version of Philip Glass. I want to see Indian people's names in major motion pictures, females who are composing, who are audio engineering, who are songwriting, because you're seeing tons and tons of Bollywood culture and playback music, and that's wonderful, but we've already developed that so much. It's time for us to actually recognize the independent artists who are doing original works, because that's the last thing that I see. So I really want to focus on that, and I'm working on it, and it's been, it's been great to be in LA for that specifically. I can only imagine. LA is full of talent. It's, it's yeah. just amazing how many talented people live in that little area yeah. <laughs> with bad traffic but, but, but <laughs> having said that so so have you have you even have you looked at broadway as an opportunity um i a long time ago i wanted to be on broadway but um during that time i would say the opportunities in broadway were non-existent for someone who looked like me um we now have some wonderful artists who are making it into Broadway who are South Asian. One of them being Shobha Narayan, who's amazing. Shobha Narayan. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's incredible. Ja Jasmine and Alden, oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she's- Imagine having having a South Asian Jasmine, finally, right? Finally, right? Like you would think that would happen a long time ago, but it made me really proud to see that. Um, it does take years to kind of get into that space. And now that I am where I am, I actually love being here. And I don't think that I'm gonna, you know, explore Broadway in that sense, but I am working on um, a Broadway musical in production where I'm the composer. 
So maybe on the other side. Oh, of wow. Things, you know? Yeah, I'm co-composing. Wow, tell us more about that if you can, of course. Yeah, I can, I can definitely um, talk about little bits of it. It is uh, based off of a book called Bollywood Kitchen. And the director, well, not the director, but the writer's name is Sri Rao, who is a South Asian American um, who has been writing uh, he's a screenplay writer. He's been writing, um, you know, pilots for like HBO and NBC for years and years, and he's very experienced. And he basically created this book called Bollywood Kitchen that combines stories of his life with the recipes that he grew up with. And I thought it was beautiful. And so he is managed by, you know, um, an agency who thought, you know, we should make a musical out of this. And he was like, I've never done a musical. Why would I do that now? You know, but they started exploring and they were searching for composers. Um, and especially in the Broadway world, they were searching for composers who were born and raised in America, but had Indian background. So they could, you know, songwrite Indian uh, American things, but also had the knowledge of Indian classical to be able to blend these two. And Sri Rao, you know, we're great friends now, but he told me, he said, they told me that this is a unicorn that doesn't exist. You're looking for someone who doesn't exist. And so mm -hmm. he searched high and low and he could not find anybody. And, you know, we got connected and he was like, they told me you didn't exist. I was like, because I don't exist in the Broadway world. No one knows about me in that world. And, you know, now we, we're kind of all kind of starting this new journey. So uh, I'm co-composing with an amazing Berkeley, Berkeley alumni named Rini. She is a uh, Carnatic violinist and vocalist and, and also a composer. And so we are blending our two sounds together. So it's, we've done a couple of workshops and we're talking to producers at this stage and, you know, they're doing some incredible stuff. And it might be one of the first things that you can see where, you know, there was Bombay Dreams. And yeah. then after Bombay Dreams, like Bombay Dreams was such a long time ago, we haven't really had another thing like that, you know? And so I feel that this is gonna be kind of a turning point. It's it it takes years to produce a Broadway musical. So it might be some time before you hear about it, you know, in again, but I'll definitely send you some some stuff from it. It's it's pretty cool. I, I love working on it. So I might be on the other side of it. Yeah. I love to see more of it, of course. Well, um, how, what do you want to tell kids, like, you know, South Asian kids here who are, are trying to break into the LA scene, whether it is a music composing or the singing aspect of it, or even Broadway? What, what advice would you give them? I think we are living in a very different time than I grew up in. I was like 22 when I first had Instagram, 23 or something. So social media has really brought a lot of people to be able to do things that they love and gain the attention by themselves without having to be like represented by an agency or a record label or anything. Just, I would say like, if I were you and if I was young, I would absorb everything that, the, that is there call people, email people, cold email anyone and everyone and ask for advice. For like advice. I'm in a position now where I am actually mentoring younger kids, but I still have so much to learn. If I were you, I would email like 50 to hundred people and see there might be 10 people who respond and actually guide you. Um, put out your music, you know, just put it out there. We have so many platforms now. Someone will see it. Continue Absolutely. to build it as if it's like an online resume, you know? Um, you just don't stop working on it because, and, and don't also don't like feel pressured that something has to happen because I think that takes away the, the art of it. And it takes away like the beauty of what you do. It starts making you feel like I need this to happen. I need to make money from it. Like that will come. I know it's hard to say that, but just keep working. You're, if you're young and you have some support, 
there's so many resources out there. Keep working on it. Continue to post stuff out there and ask people for help. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions. There's so much to learn. Absolutely. I think you're right in that aspect. Look at how creators are becoming big names. There's a Sri Lankan girl, Yohani. Look at how she's broken into a big scene with just one song that went viral. Look at how Dasher um yeah. with Jason Derolo. So there there are there are creators all around us and everybody has the potential of being a creator in some way or the other. So I think the uh, we're we're a lot more democratic with with this entire process now instead of you know having agents representing you and knowing people being important is just talent is important, right? Absolutely, yeah. And be persistent, you know, don't don't stop. There will be always be a point where you feel like you need to stop. Just keep going. Be the last one to finish. Continue to finish that race, you know, just keep going at it. Like you said, AR continues to reinvent himself. He's in his 50s now. It doesn't stop. The work never stops. But that's the beautiful yeah. part of it, you know? Age is a number. You can you can keep doing it till you're 100 as long as you keep, keep you as long as you're inventing and reinventing, you're young, yeah, really, absolutely. because... Because it's it's in your head ultimately, yeah. isn't it? It's attitude. Yeah. And that's what what will help your mental health as well, because oh, attitude yeah. is everything. Rianjali, it is such a pleasure speaking with you at Daisy's.live. We hope we can have more of you come in and talk more about your music. And every time you're out with something big, I hope you keep us in in, in check and let us know what's going on and we'll be here to help you through the process. We're here to just, just promote you. Thank you so much. It was such a lovely conversation. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me. It was truly wonderful.